Would you please take your Bible, and we're going to return now to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. As a church, we've set aside this statement that says that we want this to represent us, to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. So we've taken time through this gospel to want to get to know Jesus more. And in this gospel, we've learned that he has identified himself as I am the bread, the light, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the the life, the true vine. There's another place in the scriptures where Jesus discloses what he is really like on the inside. I just want to share that little verse with you. It's found in Matthew 11, verse 29, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As a church, we try to emphasize being like Jesus. And if we are like Jesus, then that quality of being gentle and lowly in heart ought to be evident in our life. Well, now we're going to look at John 13, where I think we see that gentleness and lowly of heart on full display, where we see him washing his disciples' feet. So would you look there with me? Beginning in verse 1, I'll read the first 20 verses of John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand, that he had come from God, as it was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe with them the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one whom he sent. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Lord, we pray for your blessing now over the the word, as it has not only been read, but now would you help us to hear it preached, and may it be applied to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage, let me just frame it in its proper context. We look at the different gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and those three gospels are very similar in nature. In fact, they cover a lot of the same topics. But the Gospel of John is unique. Just recently, I heard of a pastor that says that 90% of the material in the Gospel of John is original to itself. It's not found in the other three Gospels. So when we go here, beginning in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, we have some very intimate conversation. It's a discourse that's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's between Jesus and his friends these disciples. And from chapter 13 through chapter 17, we get these remaining moment words between Jesus and his students or his followers. We see that found here in chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. If we were to do a timeline of how much longer it is before Jesus will be arrested, crucified, buried, we would see that it's just a matter of hours. We know what it's like to be with some loved ones, maybe some relatives, some sort of very dear friends, and it's just a matter of hours before they go back home or we go back home. And you're attempting to squeeze all the meaningful time that you can before that takes place. I can remember when Melody and I were dating uh, I was in school, going to school in Fort Worth, and she was here in Green Bay. And there were times that she would give me a ride to the airport, the Mitchell Airport there in Milwaukee. It was a little cheaper. And I remember when the, the flight was about ready to leave, maybe we had an hour, it seemed like that hour flew by. And we were trying to get all we could packed into that. I remember when my older brother graduated high school, and he had enlisted into the Navy And for a moment, I had waited for my whole life for him to leave. It was just a matter of days before me. And and that time went by really fast as it became very clear that he was leaving. And I remember the great sorrow that my, my mom had when he left. Not so much me. But then I remember my, my twin sisters that are quite a bit younger than me, when they graduated high school and then went off to college, how hard that was on my mother. Well, it's that sort of feel that we get here, is it's just a matter of hours before Jesus is going to be going away and leaving his disciples. 
I suspect for many of you that this is a familiar passage. And like other places in the Gospel of John or the Gospels, Jesus is going to be talking about one thing, but he actually is going to be meaning a couple of different things by it. You remember in John chapter 4, they're talking about water. Jesus is speaking at the woman at the well, and he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The the setting there in John 4 is a woman at a well, and they're speaking of physical water. But at the same time, Jesus is speaking of a supernatural water, this eternal life that he can give. We find the same thing in play here in John 13. There's a washing metaphor. Yes, certainly there is a washing of feet, but that's not the only meaning that we see here in John 13. We're going to see also a washing of sins. So what I'd like to do this morning is actually provide two different readings of John chapter 13. Many of us know what it's like on a, on a Sunday, maybe a morning or afternoon. Uh, uh, we, we go on a beautiful drive. Maybe it's along the lake. Maybe it's up in the Northwoods. And we just enjoy the scenery that we observe. And we get there, maybe we spend a few hours there, and then we come back. And on our way back, there are things that we didn't see the first time. Perhaps there's an overlook. Perhaps there's a historical site. Perhaps there's a a restaurant or a charming little shop that we stop at. We go up once and we come back a second time. And that's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to do one reading where we're going to look at what the passage has to say about washing feet. And then we're going to come back and we're going to see what the passage has to say about washing sins. So let's pick it up now in verse 2. I've already looked at verse 1. It says here, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let's pause there for a moment. Imagine here is Judas. He is about ready to have his feet washed too. Jesus had spent an evening in prayer wanting to make sure that he chose the right 12 disciples Perhaps one of the reasons he spent the entire evening in prayer was agonizing over this last one, Judas, knowing that he would betray him. Judas was one that would be sent out among the twos, the pairs that would go out and proclaim the gospel. I'm sure he did. It is possible that he even performed miracles. But we will see here as a chilling warning to all of us that you might be around God's people but not actually be one of God's people. And his feet will be washed here in a moment. It says here in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he's about ready to do something there. But let's pause on verse 3. He knows that the Father has given him all things. It says that in John 3, 35, too. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. What does that all include? Clearly all power, all authority, all knowledge. Jesus has been given everything. And what will He do with it? What would you do with it? There are times I work out 
and I'm on one side of the wall or the workout room or the, the fitness center, and then there's a group of guys, sometimes girls, on the other side of the wall, and these guys have muscles upon muscles. In fact, they can't wear the same clothing I do because they have too much muscles, right? Or maybe it's to show off their muscles. I'm not exactly sure. But these men are are massively strong. And I've never had the courage to actually go up to one of them, but I've thought to myself of asking them, why do you have these muscles? You know, there was a great commercial. You remember this? Planet Fitness? I lift things up and put them down. Is that why you have these muscles, to lift things up and and put them down? Do you know why Jesus had all these muscles, all these strengths? Well, let's look at what he does with it in verses 4, 5. It says, He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's just think for a moment about this. I think probably in our culture, the idea of our feet, we all know that our feet are stinky and and unclean. I think we know that. But in this culture, it was even amplified more. I remember uh, in uh, 2003 when the American soldiers went into Iraq. Do you remember this? And they went and they grabbed that statue of Saddam Hussein. It was about 40 feet tall. And the American soldiers yanked that, that statue down. Do you remember how the Iraqi people responded to that statue? You see it, that picture right there. You see what they're doing with their shoes, their sandals? They're putting it on the, on the head of Saddam Hussein. And if they could just come up with the most angry and most disrespectful thing they could think of, it would be to have something that touched their feet touching another person. When, uh, when those of us at Highland Crest who have had the honor to go to Senegal, to Neomoon Island, uh, we wear sandals or Crocs, and you spend a day walking on these dirt, sandy paths where there's all sorts of other stuff that have been there at one time. And by the end of the day, at least my feet are absolutely caked, not in just dust, but dirt. And I've thought a little bit more about this passage today because I'm just being honest that there's no way that a little water being poured over my foot and just wiped with one towel swipe would have anything to do with cleaning my feet. My feet, after a day of walking on the paths, would require a deep cleaning. And this is what we see here in this passage. I learned this week that there were servants at this time, yes, but not even a Jewish servant would have been asked to clean guest feet. They would not require a Jewish servant to go that low. Only a Gentile, that is a non-Jewish servant, would have done such a thing. And yet we see here in this passage that having been given all things, he rose from supper, 
lay down his outer garments. That would be the equivalent to taking off his jacket, his tie, his dress shirt, setting them off to the side. In verse 5, he pours water into a basin. This is not one in which he delegates. Peter, you go get the water. John, you go get the dish. Andrew, you go get the cloth. Jesus takes on all of these tasks by himself. And as it says there, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Nothing half-hearted here. He does everything complete. He is thorough in it. Would you skip down with me to verse 12? When he had finished, or when he had, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've just done to you? Now, obvious answer, I think, is no. We have absolutely no idea what you have just done. Verse 13 says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Do you understand what's taking place here? Mm, not really. Well, Let's just consider the different, uh, different ranks that we have here. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. You're my student. You're my subject. And I have washed your feet. I am giving to you an example of how you are to conduct yourself when I leave. It's a stunning thought, isn't it? It is true that all of us are made in the image of God and we are equal. It is true that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. But if we think about that a little bit more, we do have different ranks within our congregation, don't we? We have some that are business owners and they have many different employees. We have some that are department heads or supervisors. You've been at your workplace for so long that people answer to you. There are leaders even within the church. There are leaders within the family of dads, of, of moms. There are leaders of the older sibling. There are athletic people here today that might be the best player on their team, maybe on, on their dance team. And yet with that comes influence. What are you supposed to do with all that influence? Stick your chest out and say, I'm so much, so happy that I'm superior to all these other people? What we see here as this example is that you are to lower yourself and you are to serve others. If you know the history of the Salvation Army, there's William Booth in, in the early stages of Salvation Army. He had a minister, actually a Methodist minister that came to serve with William Booth named Samuel Logan Brengle. And he had come from the U.S. and Brengle would serve as the first American commissioner of the Salvation Army. And this, this brother thought a little too high of himself as a pastor where people would serve him. So the leader of Salvation Army, William Booth, says, you know what, we need to find something that's going to uh, provide some more humility for you. And so what he asked him to do was actually to wash or, or shine the boots of the people 
that he was training. And at first, Mr. Bringle said, this is not what I want to do. But then after a while, as he stooped down to start shining some boots, he thought of Jesus in John 13. And he said, Lord, you wash the disciples' feet, and I will blacken these, these trainees' boots. As we look from this passage, we see this example for us, that we are to be serving those whom the Lord has entrusted us to. He is the servant king, the gentle and lowly of heart. If we were to look at the context from Luke's perspective, we would know that right around this time, Jesus' disciples were actually arguing with one another who was the greatest. He's not only providing words to the answer to that, but he's also providing an example by his actions of the greatest is the one who serves. Now, there are some that look at this passage and say, well, foot washing should be an ordinance, because that's what it says here, isn't it? This example there in verse 15, in the same way that the Lord's Supper and baptism is an ordinance, we should be washing one another's feet. But if you look a little closer at verse 15, Jesus said, for I have given you an example that also that you also should do just as I have done to you. The word as there implies that it's not this physical act of washing feet, but it's the spirit of it, lowering yourself to humble and to serve others. And that's exactly what we see here. And not only that, but look at verse 17. There is a blessing that comes. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. And then let's just round out this passage. Because not everyone would receive this blessing. Not everyone is going to experience eternal life. Verse 18 says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He is saying here, we're, we're, before we move on, let me address Judas, who's about ready to betray me. Why is all this taking place? Well, I'm a man of the Bible, Jesus is saying. And in Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, that needs to be fulfilled, that I will be betrayed. That's what it says there. And this is taking place in verse 19. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it is done, you may believe that I am he. So he's, he, he's addressing this Judas situation. And then we see there in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So here's the first reading. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We've just gone on our drive to our destination. We've enjoyed the views. But now let's come back home and let's look at the same passage with a second different reading. And that is where we're going to see that Jesus washes the disciples' sins. There was a chunk of Scripture here that I left out, but now I want to return to you. Look with me at verse 6. 
He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And I think that's a good question. What would you and I do if Jesus came to wash our feet? Is there anyone here that would be uncomfortable with that? I certainly would. That's a good question. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand. Now, but afterward, you will understand. Right now, Peter, you don't understand these words, that the Son of Man has come not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But someday you will understand the importance of humility. And as we look at Peter's letter, First Peter, we see that he certainly did. In First Peter 5, verse 5, Peter would write, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 8 says, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And the Greek language is so strong here. It's as if he is saying, You will never in a million years wash my feet. It's Kent Hughes that said, Sometimes the only time Peter opened his mouth was to change feet. And I think that's true here. At one time, no, you're not going to wash my feet, he says. And now, let us look at what it says in verse 8. The next part, you shall never wash it. But Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And it's that last phrase where the word washing changes from speaking about no longer washing physical feet, but now washing our sins. Jesus is saying to Peter, if you want to be a part of me, you need to be washed. Peter, listen, you may have went out and preached the gospel. You may have performed miracles. You may have been present with me at Mount Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. Peter, you might have even walked on water. But if you want a part of me, you need to have your sins washed away. It's a powerful truth there. Then it says here in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So he goes from one extreme to the other. And then verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Here's what he is saying. If you have been washed, if you have been bathed, if you have been forgiven, if you have been born again, if you have been saved from your sins, you don't need to be saved again. You don't need to be born again. The power of the cross has has poured out power to forgive you of your past, present, and future sins. This is what he is saying here to the people. He is saying this to Peter. And maybe I'd put it this way. Once bathed, always bathed. 
God saves us and keeps us saved. This is what he is saying to Peter. Now, I I confess to you that I didn't always understand that. What we're talking about here is this magnificent doctrine of justification. That once you have been born again and you are saved, he has forgiven you and he has washed you. It is a settled matter. Not only is it settled, but his grace will keep you born again and saved and forgiven. But does that mean, church family, that we will never sin? No. And that's what he's referring to when he talks about you're still going to need your feet washed. Once again, spiritual meaning here. You're going to need your spiritual feet washed. You are justified. You are saved. But you are not perfect. What Jesus is doing here is he is taking on this doctrine of perfectionism that still exists today. That I have been saved, but I don't sin anymore. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to be bathed, you need to be washed. But throughout the day, you're also going to need to have your spiritual feet washed because you need to be forgiven of those existing sins that are still taking place in your life. And they will until the day you go to Jesus or to the day you die. This is what we have here. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So let me just give it to you this way. We've come back. We, we made our way out on our trip. We, we saw everything on the first reading. Now we've come back for the second reading. And now let's just process what we saw. Here's the main point of this passage. Jesus washes our sins so that we can humble, humbly serve one another. We have been washed so that we can wash one another's feet. There's a great quote here that says it so much better than I can. It was found in a commentary I've included in your outline, so just follow along with me, where it says, Jesus is telling his disciples, in essence, my humble service to you on the cross, pictured by this act of foot washing, will enable you and empower you to live as you were intended to. It will change your desires and goals, your dreams and wishes. It will change your fundamental makeup. You'll learn that as you follow me, joy and happiness will find you. Not standing on the throne, issuing edicts, and receiving tribute, blessing will find you kneeling on the floor, towel in hand. So let me just give you three concluding remarks here that we've already had on. As we think about this passage, one, we serve out of who we are. When we look at this passage in John chapter 13, verse Three, the reason Jesus could take on so much disgrace in cleaning these dirty feet is because he know who he was. He know what the Father had given to him. And all things were in his hands. And then he had come from God and he was going back to God. And it was from that that he had so much confidence and may I say it, security. He didn't care what anyone else thought. 
he was going to serve. And loved ones, our service is to come from who we are in Christ. That we have been accepted. We have been forgiven. It is secure. We've been bathed in, in the forgiveness of sins. And as a result, we don't need to act to get others' approval. We've already got the approval that we seek that is found in God. And from that, we serve. Am I the only one that went to junior high and high school and was concerned with who we sat with? That that's the cool kids over there. I want to make sure I position myself with them. I don't want it all to be seen with these kids over here. And what was that all about? It was about trying to sort out who I was. And another, that doesn't go away, does it? Even as adults, and may I say it, even in the church, we can struggle with that. Make sure I get in the the right group, make sure I sit at the right table during these meals. But when we know who we are in Christ, we don't care about any of that. We're just, let me serve. Because everything I'm looking for, I found in Christ. Here's the second thing we see here. Is one who is justified still sins and needs to be forgiven. Maybe it'd be better to say moment by moment. <laughs> How about daily? Do you remember when Jesus taught us to pray? And that prayer was to be on a regular basis, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We might have been bathed, we might have been thoroughly cleansed, but our spiritual feet need washed on a regular basis. May I remind you, some of the distinctives of our church is we want to be scripturally saturated, but we also want to take on humility. One of the things we've said about humility of our church is we want to have ongoing repentance. We want to always be aware of our sins and going and receiving grace for the forgiveness of those sins. And then finally, when we serve as Jesus did, we experience joy. Do you see it there? In verse 17, if you know these things, what are these things? It's about, it's about serving others. Then blessed are you if you do them. You know that word blessed. That's the word makarios. It's the same word that's used in the Beatitudes. It's this word of contentment, of satisfaction. It's a word that was used to describe the island of Cyprus in ancient times, where this Cyprus was a beautiful, fertile island. It had all sorts of fruitful plants, and no one needed to import anything to Cyprus. Why? Because it had everything it needed. And when we have been washed by our Savior, and when our spiritual feet are being washed on a regular basis, and we know who we are, we are freed up to serve and we experience the makarios, the joy that He has for us. Because is it not true that we can serve out of not joy? But the sweet spot here is to serve as Jesus is leading us to serve. 
So leaders in our church, myself included, wash one another's feet. Husbands, humble yourselves. Serve others. Wives, serve your husbands. Children, serve your parents. Supervisors, pray for a heart to wash as Jesus washed your employees' feet. Coaches, be gentle and lowly of heart. Accomplished athletes and musicians, don't stick out your chest in pride, but serve those who are not as far along as you are. Excellent students in the areas of math and and science or whatever subject it is, don't use that as a way of saying, look how good I am. Go to those who are struggling and helping them. Church, look for ways to serve your community. Well, my, my community is not deserving, nor were you, nor were the disciples, and certainly was not Judas, but they had their feet washed. And may I say, beautiful people, pretty teenage girls that may say, I'm going to distance myself from people that are not beautiful as I. Don't distance yourself, but serve those around you. Loved ones, serve joyfully. Serve with a heart of humility as Jesus did. And when you do, joy awaits. So have you been washed? Have your sins been forgiven? Are you being washed on a regular basis? When's the last time you've asked for your sins to be forgiven? From that humility of receiving what you did not deserve, are you serving others? I don't care if they are worthy of it or not. Are you serving others? Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this passage, there is so much there for us. There's a simple reading here of washing feet. And, and that certainly is true. There is a great example of Jesus that says greatness is truly serving others. It is hard to imagine that the Creator would, work, would wash the creature's feet. The one who created H2O would use that water as an act of humility of leaving the glories behind, taking on the the form of man, the servant, to wash feet. But that isn't the greatest act of humility that we see in this passage. It's taking the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's it's being willing to go to the cross to bear our sin. And that's the greatest act of service. So I pray for those with us today, either in person or online, if they've never truly been washed. As we celebrate today with with Miss Gail, 
of just being washed of their sins, this time in our life of receiving the grace of God, I pray that you would lead them to do that. They would trust you. And we haven't been just washed to now live our own lives. But we've been given an example. And so I would pray that you would help us to follow this example and use whatever place in life that we have. It could be a, could be a 10-year-old boy that has a, another sibling, a younger sibling, and say, I, I have an opportunity to serve my 7-year-old sister. I'm going to do that this week. Would, would you give us insight today on how we can serve others? And may we do it with a joyful heart because we've been served as Jesus has come to give his life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.